available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome back, everyone, at long last to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 247 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 247 Sports Network. And we are the Podcast of Champions talking Pac-12 football. The goal is all year round. That means there's no more games. We're still talking to you. So that's we're, we're doing okay so far, Dave. We just have to keep this keep this train rolling so we don't go months without doing an episode i mean we are at like maybe three this month so yeah that's let's call a spade a spade we're not we're not you know we, we've been laid up a little bit we've both had some flu flu like symptoms that we've played through yes. and by played through i mean we didn't and in <laughs> fact we just like laid up for weeks on end uh but we're back we're ready to roll we are we a lot to talk about for sure there's a lot of a uh, lot of news wanted to let you know how to get a hold of us. We uh, we had a bunch of tweets. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the tweets. Uh, at Pac-12 Podcast is our Twitter. If you want to email us, and we got a bunch of emails too, Pac-12Podcast at gmail.com. Our voicemail number, if you want to call, we haven't had one of those for a while, 641-715-3900, extension 734-972. You can uh, call there, leave a voicemail, and I think we're going to have to switch to a Google voicemail with just a regular number during this off season, but our website is pack 12 podcast.com. All simple stuff. We do love to hear from you. We love to make the show interactive and, and the more questions you send in Dave, I think that's the more, more likely we'll keep the shows going. Oh yeah. The, the more questions you send in, the less we actually have to think going into <laughs> these. And that's always a big thing. How many people do you think um, want to leave us a voicemail? And then they're just like, Oh no, I can't press in that many numbers. I'm not going to do it now. Like <laughs> it has to be more than like zero, right? I would think it's like, more than zero. Pe- people daunted by that number of like you know thumb taps on their phone. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a significant number of people. And the, so the, yeah, we should change that. And I, I started the Google voicemail for uh, my USC podcast, the Peristyle podcast, and you start getting text messages too. So you can, it's not just voicemails. There's text, and then you have like people like full on text conversations, and it's a little. It's a little much. So it's more. It's like more to manage. It's probably easier to manage. So uh, well, I, I think we have to be careful when we go down that that slippery slope. But I, I think that's the way we should go. I think so too. I think especially during the season, it could be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, cool. Okay. So let's see what we want to start with. Um, unfortunately, I guess you know we should probably lead off. So there's a lot yeah. of news. There's a lot of Pac-12. Uh, news and I, I got them all kind of summarized. We'll go through some of the different points. Uh, so you know, lots of football news going on. But uh, Tyler Herlinski, the the Washington State quarterback who uh, was the heir apparent to Luke Falk, uh, unfortunately took his own life. Um, it's just, I mean, just tragedy. And they're they've done a great job covering up there and uh, uh, you know, candlelight vigils and just, I mean, it's just baffling, Dave, to see something like that where it seems like this is what you're waiting for if you're a quarterback. And, but you just never know what's going on in people's heads. It's just it's so unfortunate, and uh, you know, by all accounts, just seemed like a great kid, and uh, you know, taken from us too soon. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I I know 
you were on the seven on seven circuit for you know years and years, and so was I. And I think we saw I don't know three Holinsky brothers go through the you know the whole process and everything. So you know this is one that I think hits a somewhat close to home for both of us. Um, but yeah, this you never really think about it when you're you know thinking about these athletes playing these sports that they're you know human beings who are going through. Uh, a lot on their own as well and you know everyone talked about what a kind of a shock this was I think Mike Leach was quoted saying you know he he saw no real signs of anything and that's I mean that's true of a lot of these situations and you know everybody's everyday life people keep this stuff hidden and uh, you know there's such a you know general stigma still attached to you know depression to mental health stuff that you know, it's just that's something that I think everybody needs to work through a little bit. But um, yeah, it's such a shame, awful, awful stuff. Yeah. So heart, you know, thoughts and prayers, and our hearts go out to uh, the entire Cougar family up there. Um, next time up at the Coug, poor little out for Tyler. Uh, man, just this terrible. And, and you know, if you want to talk on the football side too, you're not really sure where Washington State goes from here. Obviously, that's the you know way down in the on the priority mm-hmm. list, but that's, you know, that's what we're here to, to t- talk about. I mean, that's going to be once the spring ball rolls around and stuff, it's just going to be, it's got to, it's got to have to be weird on campus there where you have the guy that everyone expects going to be the quarterback. And it's not like he got hurt and he's on the sideline, can't play. He's just not there. And it's, I, I mean, that's a lot for a, a bunch of young players and, and a program to deal with just a presence like that, just not being around anymore. Yeah, and that's, I mean, it's, uh, I'm sure it's hard for everybody up there, and it's, uh, you know, it's going to be good to talk to, um, we're going to, we'll talk about it at the end of the show, but we're going to start a series with um, each of the publishers over the next, you know, several weeks. Um, it'll be good to talk to the guys who are covering Washington State and just see how the team is responding to this and how they're dealing with it, because, you know, this is, it's not just their teammate, it's not just their leader, it's their friend, it's their guy who is, you know, is been through it with them i mean he was yeah i mean he was going to be the starting quarterback this year but i mean he's a guy who's you know been there now for a couple of years so that's yeah that's going to be something for them that they're going to have to work through in spring and that's going to be something that's you know it's going to sit with these guys the rest of their college careers i'm sure it's going to sit with mike leach the rest of his coaching career um and how that affects them is going to be just you know it's it's that's going to tell the tale i think in large in large part for washington state yeah it's uh not not the kind of stories or you know things you want to be commenting on and it's unfortunate we see you know we see stuff like this and 21 years old it's it's way too soon um, way wait yeah i mean i how many times have we screwed up over the years like should we even it's like yeah uh, well like uh, yeah i mean it's that's the thing so many people go through I, you know, I can't obviously speak to his personal circumstance, but so many people go through depression and it's, you know, uh, you just make that one instantaneous decision and, you know, it's just over too soon. It's awful. Um, yeah. And then you, so there's a lot of great stuff. Uh, the, the Seattle papers, the, uh, you know, up in, uh, the Pacific Northwest, all of the, the journalists up there have been done a, doing a great job, uh, covering that. Um, if there's anything you want to read up on, uh, they've done a, amazing jobs. You can kind of check that stuff out and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens once spring ball rolls around. Like we were talking about, uh, what kind of football impact all this is going to have, but obviously that's the low, low, low priority, uh, as of right now. Um, yeah. 
we wanted to so the, the last show we did because Dave was deathly ill could not speak mm-hmm. um, at least he says he might have been out you know playing golf I was just but. I was just drunk for a week <laughs> and a half um, I ended up having Jason Shear on to talk about the Arizona coaching search which was not over at the time uh, it is now over so we it's should been probably... over for a little while yes this is the first time we're recording so we're gonna record about it now yeah. Uh, Kevin Sublin. I don't know if you remember that yeah. guy. He uh, he beat yeah. he beat Nick, beat Nick Saban before uh, Texas A and M, and uh, had had usually really good starts to the seasons, but not really good ends to the seasons. But he is now uh, the head coach for the Arizona Wildcats, and I think you know really really good hire. Like maybe not Chip Kelly level hire, but close. Like I think those are two like. Kind of no brainer, home runny hire. So I, I I give Arizona a lot of credit for bringing in Kevin Sumlin. Yeah, and honestly, I thought Arizona had several good options that they were talking about. Um, I thought you know whoever was running this search, I thought they did a really nice job to surface you know some guys who are like I, I would have been really interested to see Ken Nayumatololo. I think I did that I right. I think you're right. Yeah, pretty good. I think I did it right. I would have been really interested to see him at Arizona because you know we've talked about this before, but. Having a team that generally doesn't recruit that well go to the triple option is always an interesting move. And having that in the Pac-12 where every Pac-12 team has to prepare for the triple option, that'd be great. I'd yes. love to see that. And he's a f- phenomenal coach. I think he would have done well there. Um, Kevin Sumlin is uh, – I-, I think this is a really good for them. Um, I think it's definitely a move that leans towards um, trying to improve Arizona's recruiting base. Because Kevin Sumlin has those Houston connections, he's got those Texas connections. Um, he's a better recruiter overall than you know a guy like Richrod. So I think that's a major upgrade recruiting wise. On field coaching, I think he's you know I think he's developed an earned reputation as a good offensive coach. Um, obviously, you know Texas A and M kind of fell into an eight and five ish rut over the last several years, but um, coaching at Arizona um, is a different animal than coaching at Texas A and M in the SEC West. Um, I think the Pac-12 South, at least right now, is relatively soft. Um, I think <laughs> the fact that Arizona State hired Herm Edwards certainly makes uh, Arizona a more desirable job because your main rival is, um, well, at a bit of a deficit. Um, so I think there's a lot um, in favor of someone here. I think Arizona, for the first time in probably a long time, has a chance to kind of you know, seal off the state of Arizona, at least away from their in-state rival. Um, because I, I, as we've talked about on the podcast, I'm not super confident in Herm Edwards um, and the direction of Arizona State under him. Um, and Arizona State's historically a better football power than Arizona. But um, I think this there's, there's a little bit of a coaching mismatch there, I think, now. Yeah, and it's funny, when you look back, uh, five, you know, obviously there's been five coaching changes in the Pac-12. Now, Oregon State, though, it seemed like it was so long ago. But I thought two, like the be- two best hires when you're talking about the Sun Devils, Arizona State, would have been Chip Kelly or Kevin Sumlin. I really felt that. Like, those would have been home runs. And it's hilarious that they those, both those guys land in the Pac-12 South, and neither of them are in Tempe. So that's, that's just weird to me, too. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, yeah, I, I don't know. It seems like every time we talk about coaching hires now, we're just going to go back to Arizona State hiring for Mavericks <laughs> because it's like, I think it's the most baffling thing either of us can remember. Um, 
Like, honestly, it's I'm trying to decide if it's more baffling than, again, I always contextualize this to UCLA stuff. Is it more baffling than UCLA hiring the Denver Broncos wide receivers coach in 2003? I say yes. Um, I say yes because, I mean, it, Carl Durrell was like a, you know, it was sort of like the high ups. Well, not high upside. It turned out not high upside. But, like, he's an unknown so you could suspect he might have some upside because you literally don't know. Herm Edwards is a known quantity. I mean, he's <laughs> he is who he is. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I don't really have a comparison for this. But uh, another guy I wanted to mention that Arizona came up with um, in this search um, that uh, Jason Shear was talking about was Neil Brown, um, yeah. the Troy head coach. And I think he's a, he's definitely a rising star um, in the coaching profession. So, you know, whatever they were doing, they came up with some good names, um, and I think that speaks well of the leadership over there. Um, and, you know, landing a guy like someone who, you know, uh, A&M, I, I think that's a tough job, and I think they've got way, way overboard expectations given the fact that it's not the best program in its own state and definitely not the best program in its division. Um, I, I think he's, I think someone's a good coach, and I think he uh, should do well at Arizona. I think it was the Arizona Republic uh, this past week did a uh, uh, sit down with Herm. How are we talking about Herm when we're, this is supposed to be uh, Kevin Sullivan? But um, and it was it was actually really good. It, like the the quote from it was like I'm everywhere, and he was like you know going to the weight room, checking the guys out, and uh, I mean he's you know it's, it's not rocket science, you know like you know the more you look at like hey maybe this is gonna Maybe it'll work out. I, I'm just not sure. Um, they're going to do a lot more like under center stuff. Like you can kind of feel like the, you know, hey, I'm going to do what I know, which is the NFL from 10 years ago. Um, you'll probably see a lot more of that, you know. Uh, and, Manny, I, you know, Manny Wilkins, to his credit, he's a senior. He knows that if you want to play in the NFL, you got to do some stuff under center. So it might help him too. But uh, it was actually a pretty good sit down. He's getting himself out there now. And, uh, now that the initial shock is over, I don't think it's going to start again until we see some like crazy stuff happen during games. Like we are we guaranteed that there's going to be some stuff that you're like, how the heck did that happen in this Arizona State game? I, I kind of think there's going to be, I, I, and it's not even just going to be that. It's going to be the interviews afterwards. You know, I mean it, that's that's, and I think he's going to be encouraged to do that because why are you hiring Herm Edwards unless he's going to give some like, you know, really you know intriguing quotes after games um so yeah i i mean it's gonna be a show i mean we're sitting here talking about it still and so if you're you know there's certainly some buzz uh i don't know if it's good buzz but there's certainly some buzz around asu um and i think largely because of this somewhat baffling hire yeah um any other thoughts on kevin summon we're both you know i it's funny because there's uh, both of these, you know, when USC was looking for a coach a couple of years ago, both names came up and some people love it. Some people pan it, whatever. Um, I kind of, you know, I, I agree with you on some of the on-field stuff, but I feel like Kevin Sumlin in the Pac-12 where there's not as the same sort of competition will recruit really well, get some really good athletes in there. I mean, he's got a really young team to work with and he's got Khalil Tate. So, uh, and Khalil Tate was kind of weighing in on, his thoughts too. I don't think he wanted the triple option coming to Tucson, but I I just feel like this is going to be a really good hire. Now, is it going to take? It, I mean, you know, are they going to win the Pac-12 over the next three or four years? I don't know. I mean, I think there's a, a decent shot, but 
They they might have a decent shot this year. You know, 2018, they might have a decent shot at winning. I think the Pac-12 South is going to be wide open. Um, well, not – I mean, as wide open as it gets. I mean, obviously, USC is still going to have, like, the general talent advantage. But without a – you know, without Sam Darnold, it's going to be different. But, um, yeah, I think the Pac-12 South is pretty wide open. Um, so it's, it's there. And the defense was young this year um, and had some moments where it looked pretty good. They should be better next year. Um, they obviously get Tate back, and I think someone runs an offense that's favorable to him. I do want to touch on that, though, because if Arizona did identify uh, Nayo Matalolo as their coach and Tate's comments scuttled that, that would be a little bit of a knock against the leadership for me because you'd never, ever do that. You don't make a decision about who your coach is going to be based off of like what the player who's going to be there for two more years says. Um you know, if they were confident that, you know, going to the whatever Nayamatololo was going to run, whether that was, you know, a triple option or whatever, that was the best fit for Arizona, then you just do it. Um, and, you know, you hope that he can convince Tate to, to come along. But, yeah, I mean, trust the coach in his system. Um, coach, uh, head coach over any one player virtually always. Um, and if I have one small concern about someone, it's that his offense, um, you know, and I think he's, he's bringing Noel Mazzoni. That offense is relatively conventional now, um, and you have to be pretty confident someone's going to recruit much better than Arizona has in the past. Yeah. Um, and, and I am. like I, I think he's probably walking in the best recruiting head coach in the Pac-12 South now. I mean, I think Clay Helton's pretty good. Um, I think Chip Kelly is good in his own way. Um, but I think someone is probably the most active and energetic head coach recruiter, at least from what I know. Um, so I think he walks in and he, he gives them a little bit more of an advantage there than they had in the past, but recruiting to Tucson's tougher than it is, you know, recruiting to even to college station. So, um, long story short. Yeah, I think, I, I think they made a good hire. Um, I think it's a solid hire. I just, um, I'd be interested to see what the full thought process was before Tate, uh, fired off those tweets. I would too. And, uh, you know, the one thing, obviously, the big one out there, the one that Arizona could have got and passed on that, you know, we'll never know how it's going to work out, but that's the one you would have wanted. Rick Neuheisel, of course. And unfortunately, <laughs> we didn't. <laughs> and my the biggest regret over like my three years doing this podcast is when I had Jason Shear on, you were too sick to come on and you couldn't discuss why Rick Neuheisel would have been a great hire in Tucson. Well, he would have gotten the opportunity to scuttle a fourth Pac-12 program, so that would have been something. Um, yeah, I mean, who boy, that would have rivaled Herm Edwards for me. Um, how many times does a guy have to fail before you stop hiring for jobs? Um, but yeah, I mean, it sounds like most of that talk was probably coming from Neuheisel trying to get his name in there. He tried to get his name in there for Oregon State as well. Um, and wasn't there was some other job he was trying to get his name in there for? So. Um, I think he's looking to get back into coaching. Maybe he finds a spot next year because he's made it pretty apparent this offseason that yeah. he's looking. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if Pac-12 schools have no excuse uh, to hire him. They've gotten an up-close <laughs> look at what he does to programs, but um, maybe he'll get a, you know, and maybe he'll be a better fit at it. Like, I, I, and I don't want to completely dog news. Maybe he'll be a better fit at a at a either lower level or a different league. I don't know, but um, I, I don't think. Pac-12 schools are going to be in any rush to hire him anytime soon. I mean, he writes his own songs. He plays the guitar. I don't think you're taking Honestly, all this. Honestly, because... and that's the thing. I love him as like a television personality. Awesome. I think he, 
Yeah. I think he brings a lot to the table there. I just, whew, I mean, I, 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 and you know, I'm, I'm speaking from a slightly biased perspective. I watched way too much of his football teams, <laughs> way too much. Like nobody, nobody in their right mind should have watched as much UCLA <laughs> under Rick Neuheisel as I did. So I, I have a, I have a really, really, really specific um, idea of what kind of coach he is. It's funny that the USC guy, the USC guy, likes Rick Neuheisel more than the UCLA guy. That's pretty good. <laughs> it is weird. It's weird. I was. He like, did go to USC Law though. He so did. That yeah. for you. I just, I mean, I've only had a few interactions with him, like radio stuff, and he was always like super nice and. Uh, uh, yeah, that, that, I mean, I, I dog him as a coach, but like by all accounts, great guy. I mean, uh, and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to get into anything personal about the guy. I just don't think he's a very good football coach. Yeah. So you think he's a terrible human being? Okay, we got. It. <laughs> um, let's see. Well, okay, so there's one thing that was a foregone conclusion that we were talking about uh, when we were talking about guys leaving for the NFL. Obviously, Bryce Love is gone, right? So I, I've, I've missed a few weeks. So that happened, right? Uh, are you sitting down? <laughs> I'm sitting down. Yeah, because because Bryce Love is back, oh, man. and he's like the uh, I think he's got the best odds to win the Heisman Trophy next year, and he will finish second. Yes, um, guaranteed. I mean, there's like there's nothing I'm more sure of than he's going to finish second. <laughs> nothing has ever been more of a lock. Um, yeah, this is crazy crazy that he's coming back i mean i'm sure stanford fans love it it's great for the pac-12 it'll keep that you know stanford machine rolling even more um but it's crazy i mean in this in this day and age um and you know he might have different priorities and i don't want to like you know pigeonhole him but in this day and age with like obvious hit counts on running backs in terms of you know it doesn't matter if you're getting them at college or getting them at the nfl level a running back's career just does not last that long to take another year of college when, I mean, what does he have to prove at this point that, you know, his ankles are made of titanium? Like what is like, what is it that he has to prove? I mean, on a busted up ankle, he was still rushing for like six yards of carry. I mean, the dude has nothing left to prove, but he's coming back for another year. He, I mean, he, he was averaging 10 yards per carry for so much of this year. <laughs> I have no idea what he's going to do his, his final year of college, but I'm sure it's going to be very impressive. Yeah. Um, now, it's obviously good for Stanford. Losing Harrison Phillips and some of the other guys on the defensive side of the ball, it's going to be harder to replace. Uh, Keller Chris, I mean, obviously he's, he wasn't the best quarterback, but he's a grad transfer now. So after KJ Costello, it gets a little – uh, maybe a little dicey, but uh, you know, having Bryce Love back certainly helps. I think it will keep expectations high, which you know could be a good or a bad thing. But um, I, I think the the biggest loss though is on that de- the defensive side of the ball. Just some of the guys that they lost. It's going to be tough. I've got a question about Chris. Um, do you think there's any chance he goes in the Pac-12? Do you think USC would look at him with the, with Darnold leaving and trying to add a little bit more competition? I don't think so. I just that just doesn't seem like Clay Helton's mo. Like that that seems to muddy the waters, which you know it might upset people that are already there. I I just don't see him doing that. Um, as far as other programs, I don't know. I I kind of just think he's going to go somewhere else. But what, any thoughts there? No, I was just interested because um, as I don't think we've got this on the schedule, but Washington lost uh, KJ Carter Samuels to grad transfer, and he grad transferred to UCLA. So I was wondering yeah. if. Uh, I'm trying to think if there is another fit for Chris in the conference because he wouldn't go to Washington because he'd have to compete against top 10 in the Pac-12 quarterback, Jake Browning. Um, <laughs> I don't know what Oregon State's situation is. Um, 
I don't know if that would be a fit system wise. Um, it might be. I think. Uh, I mean, he, you know, he got Jonathan the whole. Smith he played the whole game in Corvallis this year. Yeah. Um, so, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if he stays. If he stays somewhat local, or if he if he opts to do like kind of a Max Brown thing and go to some East Coast school or Midwest school. That that was my gut reaction, but I you know nothing really popped into my head right away as far as which if it'd be a Pac-12 team. Um, but yeah, who knows? We'll see. Uh, Wishing well seems like a nice kid, so hopefully. Uh, yeah, I mean, heck, uh, why? You know, does he go to Washington State now? I mean, I don't know. You know, it's like, oh, that's a yeah, that's another uh, great point. That could be a that could be a fit. And honestly, if there's one guy who can, you know, basically turn any quarterback into a competent passer, and I think honestly, Chris, if you remember at the end of 2016, we were talking about, oh wow, Stanford found its quarterback. You know, they're they're good to go now because yeah. Keller Chris looks really good. He lost something this year, but that's it's nothing he can't find again. Um, And maybe a guy like Mike Leach could be a fit for that. Who knows? Um, So maybe that could work out for him. But uh, I I think I'm seeing that uh, your your wife's Tennessee Volunteers are a possibility (laughs) for him. I'll I'll check with her and see if Vol Twitter what they're saying about that. Well, you know, he had that knee injury too and came back like rather quickly. So maybe that's yeah, it could have affected his plant foot. Could affect so much of you know his lower body and you know he wasn't trying a whole lot of shots downfield he was dumping off a lot and so maybe it was you know he just wasn't quite right and he'll be ready to go again next year uh yeah we will see uh with keller christ um i think there was something man there was something snarky i wanted to say and i forgot it now so damn well i'm sure there's plenty of other snark uh well i'm sure i'll think of it at some point oh this is what i was gonna say like so we're talking about where he could land um and neither of us are saying Washington State, but you know, you know, unfortunate circumstances, but you know, missing their quarterback now. I can just picture people listening at home going, "Hey, idiots! What about Washington State?" You know, like Look, we can't. We actually think- can't. We actually can't keep a single thought in our heads for longer <laughs> than about four seconds. Okay. <laughs> As as longtime listeners of this podcast know, like when uh, we were talking about the ASU bowl game, and we're like, "Huh, who's going to be coaching that bowl game for ASU?" After like literally a week before saying, "Wow, it's so weird that Todd Graham's going to be coaching that bowl game." Yeah, <laughs> we have no memory. We are, you know, we just we just take it one game at a time, one podcast at a time, and we literally just, you know, we we as soon as we're done, we just throw it out, and it's just on to the next one. Um, literally don't remember what we said yes ever um okay there was also uh the whole rich rod thing we talked about arizona already but there's an eight and a half million dollar lawsuit now uh against <laughs> rich rod i don't know you had any thoughts on that um <laughs> not really um I, I i think it's a mess um i think there's a lot of uh you know the accuser filed a claim um so it was a so she has it's now two claims correct she has the claim against the coach and then another one against the university yeah I think if so I, if I remember correctly one for like seven and a half million against Retrod and then one for eight and a half million against the University of Arizona um, I think she's suing his wife too or something like his wife is named in the suit or something and like and he's dug his heels in too like this is not going away like they're both. He's like, when the truth comes out, you will see. And it was like, whoa, this is like. Yeah, and that's and that's an interesting legal strategy because part of what she's suing him for, I believe, is those sorts of comments after he was fired. 
because he made it so about he basically I think she's suing him for like slander and defamation, which is from the comments. And I think that's why his wife is named because she was part of that. Um, so it's a mess. I mean, it's a huge, huge mess. Um, but I mean, I think that speaks to I mean, there's some issues there regardless. I mean, obviously, this woman feels wronged. Richard feels wronged. I mean, this feels like a situation that um Arizona probably did the right thing in terms of jettisoning him, regardless of the results, because this is just, I mean, uh, something is clearly very messy here. Yeah. So this is one, this one's not going away. <laughs> keep, uh, keep up, you know, we'll, uh, we'll mention if something crazy kind of happens. Um, couple, let's see, couple, uh, I guess roster announcements or roster news. So according to Salt Lake Tribune, Utah wide receiver, uh, Raylon Singleton, um, will not use his final season of eligibility at Utah and is leaving the program. So uh, Darren Ter- Darren Carrington is out, and now uh, Singleton is out. So their top two wide receivers from last year are now gone. Um, and yeah. Colorado's adding Trayvon McMillan, who was the leading rusher for Virginia Tech this last year. He's going to transfer in, uh, try to take over for Philip Lindsay, who was obviously – Colorado's uh, leading rusher. So a couple roster kind of moves there. Yeah. For Utah, that's, you know, that's a blow because, I mean, that offense was not, I mean, not exactly humming most of this year. And obviously Tyler Huntley was out for a good portion of it. But um, you'd ideally like to go into next year with, you know, everything kind of set up for Huntley to have a big season because, again, the Pac-12 South is wide open. So not ideal. Yeah, and like Utah this year gets USC at home early, like you know, fairly early after like USC has road trips to Stanford and Texas. I mean, it's this is this could be the year for Utah, and then that's that's certainly a bit of a blow. Uh, you know, we'll see. And uh, you know, Colorado, it's nice you get a that's a nice pickup. You know, get a grad transfer that kind of experience, and uh, it's you know hard to replace the production of a Philip Lindsay, but you get someone like that uh, coming in. At least it'll help. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen them. I don't remember. Like I've seen a couple of Virginia Tech games. I didn't like really remember. So I'll have to go back and take a look and see how McMillan looked. Uh, yeah, okay. I haven't. I didn't watch it all. Yeah, I think I watched you know a couple of games or something here and there, but wasn't really paying all that attention. All right, so college football playoff committee news, uh, and uh, John Wilner wrote about this. Our buddy, um, he said that the the balance tipped significantly to the West. Uh, so Oregon Athletic Director Rob Mullins, he's now the chair. Uh, and so he's the chair of the committee. The two newest members, uh, Ronnie Lott, who played at USC and, you know, in the NFL and stuff. And uh, Paola Bovin, I think. I don't know how you say. Um, it's for, it's a former. I'm sure Arizona. it's like Paula or Paula. Paula. Boivin? Boivin? Boivin. Yeah, maybe Boivin's better. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it is an I. Yeah, I was looking. It's like looks like an L. Uh, Arizona Republic sports columnist and uh, currently a professor at the Cronkite School at uh, Arizona State. Yeah, so I think it's great. I mean, this is uh, it's good to get more Pac-12 voices on there. Um, I think they should just immediately go to an 18 playoff so that we stop having real controversy and we can just debate the like final three teams that are in. I like that. Um, yeah. But I mean, I think as a you know. I, I wonder how much of this was the Pac-12 kind of – maybe this was a 
speculating maybe this was like kind of a pressure move from Pac-12 like hey you guys can't keep screwing us on this so start putting some more West Coast voices on this because if you remember when the college football playoff was that first committee had it had Condoleezza Rice. I think it had a few like Pac-12 friendly voices who yes. have since been off of it. Like I think Oliver Luck was on it, he, yeah. and he's not on it anymore. And he was a Pac-12 friendly guy because obviously his son Andrew went to Stanford. Um, and uh, since then, it's gotten a little bit more um, kind of yeah, a little bit more Big Tenny, a little bit more SEC. Um, so this is this is obviously a good move in that respect. I think I tweeted something like after the national championship game, like Condoleezza Rice like tweeted like "Roll Tide" or something. I'm like, man, we're losing another one. Uh, you know, she's, <laughs> I mean, she's from Al- she's from Alabama. It's like she's from Birmingham, right? Or uh, I think she's from Birmingham. But so yeah, she she was. Uh, I think she was born in Birmingham. Yeah, but she still she went to Stanford. She's one of us. She's a Pac-12. Yeah. Um, and we always get bad numbers, Dave, when it comes to the Pac-12. Like, it's always, like, statistics, which, like, you know, money, whatever, you know, bowl records. Like, I don't, do they even keep track of bowl records? Like, do they do, – I don't know how the Pac-12 did this year, but, you know, people keep track of that kind of stuff. <laughs> this one <laughs> – we're just going to avoid that. Here's a good number. So, Super Bowl is coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, and the most players by conference on Super Bowl teams – Stanford has the most, uh, with four among the Pac-12, but the Pac-12 as a conference has the most. Uh, there are uh, 21 players that played at Pac-12 schools that are on either New England uh, or Philadelphia, and all 12 conference members have at least one former player in the Super Bowl. So 21 out of the 106 uh, active players, that's that's pretty good. So that's not bad for the Pac-12. That's like... What is that? Twenty percent? Yeah, You're right up there. Yeah, right, right about. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, and actually, it was weird if uh, Minnesota and Jacksonville had made it. Uh, each of I think it would have been three out of the four UCLA starting linebackers from the twenty fourteen season or twenty thirteen season uh, would have been in the Super Bowl. Anthony Barr, Eric Kendricks, and Miles Jack. Wow. That's pretty, Miles Jack had a huge play in that game. That that. Struck. Oh yeah, yeah. And honestly, that was the turning point because he should have been able to just run into the end zone because he wasn't touched after he recovered. Yeah, um, yeah. That was weird. The Jacksonville team. I saw some really funny tweets. It might have been. I, w- I want to give credit. I think it was Chantel Jennings, uh, who's I believe with the Athletic now, uh, the All American, or you know that mm-hmm. that group. Um, Tweeted something about like the the Jacksonville Jaguars roster is like a if like college football, uh, people like drafted a team like it's all these former, you know, yeah. five star players all over you've the Jacksonville. Got Marquise Lee, roster. you've got Miles Jack, you've got Leonard <laughs> Fournette. That's great. It's like it's like college football elite is like Jackson. That's what Jacksonville how they built their team. So, um, and unfortunately they choked it at the end, but uh, you know, yeah. That was, I, I thought that was mostly a coaching failure. They they tried to take the air out way too soon against uh, the Patriots. And someone, I think it was on, I think it was watching Colin, and he had a guest on. They're like, they so they had the ball with like wherever the field position almost was. Almost a minute, almost a minute left in the first half. With and two they timeouts. Beat it out. And no, like they said, no one had done that all year. Like, yep. And you're doing it against the Patriots? Like, well, and they wasted they wasted literally the best game that Blake Bortles will ever play in his life. Yeah, I mean, just I, I don't I, I don't get it. Yeah. 
All right. Well, one of the tweets I wanted to talk about, and and Dave is much more of an expert on this one. So uh, Andrew Percival, uh, he's P Dog two o six. He said, "Here's a stat for your Pac-12 power rankings heading into 18, 2018, and a graphic about how bad the league was. News to none of us. Uh, I've got 10 and two UW against 11 and one Utah and Santa Clara. Utes not bad this year." Finally break through next year. He tagged us and John Wilner. And then basically just included uh, an eye chart of numbers that's just like percentages across the board. And it just says Pac-12 metrics consensus. There's no explanation, nothing. So I'm like, dude, what the hell are you talking about here? So I- I'll let you explain uh, what this all is. Okay, so um... – if you want to go into our mentions, I mean, it's, uh, well, it's PDOG206, but um, this is on January 22nd. He tweeted us his, it's actually kind of helpful. He tweeted us, like, um, basically eight of the more prominent advanced stat um, metrics in college football. So you've got, like, the SRS, um, you've got Zagarin's, you've got, um, you know, for malefficiency, you've got S&P Plus, you've got a few other ones in here. And basically... What he's showing is like the aggregate average um, of uh, quality of each of these teams and each of these statistics. So basically the gist is that according to advanced stats, Washington was kind of far and away the best team in the Pac-12 this year. Um, now, if that passed your eye test, is you know your mileage might vary, but it is notable that USC and Washington didn't play this year. Um, and then it had Stanford narrowly ahead of USC, and this actually... Uh, sparked a little bit of controversy because um, Dennis Dodd jumped in about this. Yeah, he uh, called me this you, morning. He called me about it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I, so I'm not like a, I'm not a pure stat head. Like I, I think stats are a great, awesome supplement to um, watching the games. Um, I think they can kind of inform you, especially when you're like looking at teams that look relatively equal. Well, what are the what are the stats show us about this team? Did this team get relatively lucky? Did this team get relatively unlucky? Did they lose a lot of close games? And stats will kind of bear that out. So it, it, the general rule of thumb here is that Sanford was maybe slightly better. And this is, you know, based off a lot of different things. Point margin is really influential in some of these statistical models. Uh, per drive statistics are really influential in some of these models. Per play statistics are really influential. But in the aggregate, relatively equal. But um, the, the aggregate of all of this has Stanford slightly ahead. Um, and so Ryan and I were, were talking about this a little bit. I wouldn't do that. Like, I wouldn't say that Stanford was better than USC this year. Obviously, USC beat Stanford twice. And also, like, my eye test was when USC was on this year, um, they were better than Stanford when Stanford was on. Um, but, I mean, I think there is some value to I mean, Stanford did beat Washington, which was the advanced stats consensus best team in the Pac-12 this year. Um, so I think that's maybe a better win than USC had this year. Um, so I, there's some you know gray area there, but I wouldn't have done that. But I, I kind of get why the the stats would maybe show that. Yeah, and that, you know, they were he was on Twitter like talking about um, he was like you know arguing about some of the stuff, and obviously it's it's uh, beneficial for UW. So like, we'll yeah, crown, obviously we'll crown you. He's a UW fan. We'll crown <laughs> UW the Pac-12 champion now, um, but. I think when you say, okay, so last year when, uh, you know, Michigan State beat Ohio State, like, does that mean, I think that happened last year, right? Um, 
does that mean that they were the better team or whatever? It's like, no, you know, or Penn, no, Penn State's the one that beat Ohio State last year, right? Right. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, you know, you could argue that, but you know, the way Ohio State was playing, they get into the, you know, so people saw the eyeball test and they thought Ohio State was better and they get into the playoff and stuff. When you're talking about playing twice, like, that's when it's like, okay, they play twice. Like, I mean, it's like two out of three. They won both. I, I, I can't see a way you would rank them ahead. Uh, now, if, especially when USC has more wins overall. They have more wins overall, and they beat them twice. And, like, Stanford has five losses, right? Like, so, it, to me, that's just like, I don't know. Um, but if you look at the conference metrics, he he tweeted us that, too. I don't know why he's banging on the tw- Pac-12, because they're ranked higher than the AAC, the Mountain West, the MAC, <laughs> Conference USA, the Sun Belt. Like, they're ranked ahead of all those conferences, so they got to be pretty good. <laughs> no. No, no, they're not. They're really bad. Um, yeah, I think in only like a couple of these, are they even ranked ahead of another Power Five, but they're well behind the Big Ten in the aggregate, and Big Ten was consensus fourth. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, getting back to the, the head-to-head stuff, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying, but like by that same token, if Auburn had played out, so if you watch the Auburn-Alabama game, Auburn dominated that game. They would have won that. I think seven times out of 10, but that doesn't make Auburn a better team than Alabama. It makes them a better matchup against Alabama. Um, Alabama, you know, beat up on Georgia. Um, and I, I, I don't know. It's just, it's tough to look at, at head to head as like the end all and be all. I mean, I think USC um, certainly beat Stanford, but Stanford, you know, beat Notre Dame by 18. USC lost by 35 or whatever it was, 31. Um, so it's just, you know, it, it gets into that muddy situation and you can argue about all that stuff forever and there's no consensus on it. The metrics are meant to, to at least an extent, they're meant to do a lot of things. A lot of it's for betting, but one of the main goals is, um, to kind of solve that question of who's actually good, who's actually better beyond just the matchups. Because if you do uh, that, people do that all the time on Twitter, like the transitive property, um, you know, whatever random team, Vanderbilt was the national championship uh, team this year because they beat so-and-so who beat so-and-so who beat so-and-so who beat so-and-so. Um, so I, there's a lot of value in the metrics in terms of assessing the actual quality of a team, um, I think, beyond just what a simple matchup will give you. And I don't know where the metrics put Jake Browning in there. Like, does that give him a bump? I think he's comfortably that... top 10. <laughs> comfortably top 10 in the Pac-12. <laughs> Um, the, but yeah, yeah the, I mean, the, the conference was, uh, we've, we've hammered this home a lot, but the conference was objectively bad this year, yes. like just by the numbers bad. Um, and that's a big part of why they did not get a team in the playoff. Yeah. USA won the conference and many of their fans would like to fire their coach. So that's, uh, <laughs> so that's, they're not, the USC fans are not putting a whole lot of stock into, you know, uh, the fact that that Clay Helton won the Pac-12 for whatever reason, just because the Pac-12 didn't do that good. I remember when uh, I think it was a student, Dave. So this is back in the way you know before your time, and um, you know the USC UCLA stuff with the keys and everything, and you know the, the bunch of rich dudes, which I always hated because I wasn't a rich guy and I felt like I was li- like, why am I at the school if I'm not a rich guy? Like this is this sucks. But they were giving away like some like terrible car like a dodge omni or some bullshit like, like it was some crazy thing and like 
no one seemed to care. And I was like, this is very USC. Like they're giving away like a $6,000 car. And oh, it yeah. just, I just remember like, yeah, no one really cares. So like USC was the Pac-12 this year. It, you know, no one really cared. Yeah. Doesn't really, doesn't really hit on the radar. Um, I think that's it. Should we jump into some questions or are there more topics? We yeah, want to let's, let's do some questions. Um, obviously this shows a little bit, you know, less structured, um, than, Obviously, in the season, we're going to start adding in um, some segments over the next 12 weeks or so. I think we'll do probably 12 shows with each Pac-12 school, but maybe we'll double up occasionally. But this one, we just went on to you know hammer out all that news and then get into some questions because we've got some in the backlog. So we, I, had one, start with, I had one email sorry. that I was going to – because it, it mentions you and since you were gone. Derek Redondo Beach said, hey, Ryan, I have a question for the podcast of Champions. And he says, hey, Dave. Hope you're feeling better, buddy. Quick question for you. Who's won a Rose Bowl more recently, UCLA or Rick <laughs> Neuheisel? Thanks and fight on from Dave at Redondo Beach. Oh. <laughs> fair. I mean, fair, I guess. I, I, I have no response. Um, yeah, that's that's a true statement. I mean, you didn't make a statement. You asked a question, but I'm not going to answer it. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that to myself. Um Especially you coming off a cold. Like, we don't want to do these kind of things. Yeah, come on. Beating on me after I had the flu. Be nice. Ah, jeez. All right, uh, Zach's question. Okay. All right. Hey, Ryan and Dave. Uh, Starting on a logistical note, if you read this email first, ignore the email I sent two weeks ago. All right. Do you think we can hang on to that thought until we get down in the email? Or are we going to start reading his next email anyway? Oh. When we get to it. Uh, He had – so you're going up to the top. You're doing the most recent – I'm starting at the most recent. Okay. Um, Do you think we can hold on to the thought not to read the next email from him? Yes, yes. I got it. I pulled that one up first. That's where I thought we were going. But yeah, that's fine. No problem. Okay. We're going to start at the top because he wanted us to start at the top because he wanted us to ignore the email he sent two weeks ago. Perfect. Okay. So that's what we're doing. All right. Great season for you guys. Can't say the same for the conference, unfortunately. On to my questions. Now that Arizona has hired Kevin Sumlin and considering that Tate is coming back, are they the front runner in the South going into next year? I don't think I'd say front runner. I think just total roster, people will probably still pick USC. But um, I think Utah, Arizona, uh, even UCLA, um, I think all of them are in it, are going to be in it. Uh, with that young defense, that if, if he can get them playing well, uh, I mean, you got a whole bunch of freshmen and like sophomores and stuff running around the football and, and playing like crazy with like the hairs on fire. If he can coach those guys up, I think they can be, you know, significantly better on defense. And then, you know, on offense, it was weird. You see the bowl game Tate through for what, four or five touchdowns. And, you know, obviously that month of October, he ran all over everybody. Uh, some kind of balance there where it's like, you know, he can run and pass in the same game. Um, if Kevin Sumlin can do that, I, yeah, I think they're going to be a really hard out in the South. I don't know if I'd pick them as the favorite, but you know, they might be picked second or, or you know, at worst third, I would guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you're right. I think USC will be picked first. I don't think there's a clear favorite, um, like in my David Woods, you know, metric analysis. I don't think there's a clear favorite. I think, you know, I think Utah has a claim to it. Um, I think USC obviously does. I think Arizona, you know, I think they have a chance. I I, I probably put them behind um, USC, Utah, and I'd probably put them behind 
UCLA just really? because the Chip Kelly factor. Okay. But I still think like I, I think it's wide open. Like I don't I don't think anybody is like even you know not not just not head and shoulders above. I don't think they're even like a shoulder. Like I just I don't think it's it's at all clear who's going to emerge. I think if ASU had a real coach, I'd feel pretty good about ASU too. Um, they return a bunch. Um, that team was poised to be really good in 2018 and maybe maybe herm edwards you know completely goes hands off and is just a figurehead and they're able to you know kind of win um not despite him but just you know without him doing a whole lot but um yeah i think it's completely wide open i mean even colorado maybe they surge back i don't know um if steven montez plays a lot better next year that could totally happen too so i i I think the south is more wide open than like virtually any division i can remember yeah all right. Uh, uh, Ryan, is it safe to say that the majority of the P would, would trade Kelly, would trade Helton for Kelly, someone, or Whittingham? Ooh, good question. Okay. Um, so I would say, so the P is the peristyle, like our, our big message board on uscfootball.com. There's, there's the diehards that if USC hired the janitor, he's the best coach in the world and, you know, whatever. <laughs> so there's, there's that. It's a smaller percentage, but there's a percentage of them. I think the majority would trade for Chip Kelly. Now there's a lot of people, there's a there's hatred for Chip Kelly too. That when I say what I would go on there and say, "Hey, I think Chip Kelly would be great back in college, you know, 2 years ago, USC should have hired him, stuff like that." There's a bunch of USC fans that didn't want him then, not just the UCLA factor. They just didn't want him at all. It's a pretty high percentage. I would still say the majority would trade, but there's I don't know what it is. It's just this hatred of him saying he's a cheater at Oregon, all this stuff. So there's there's something about him that's kind of decisive uh i would say less so with Sumlin as far as um being like a polarizing figure i would say more people would take him whittingham it's kind of weird because like clay helton beats him and stuff and you're like uh um so i i I think the majority would take all of those probably Sumlin would be more people would trade for him than maybe than maybe whittingham and then kelly third which is weird i would put kelly first but that's i think that's what the p would say yeah that makes sense um, now that both coordinators have abandoned the dumpster fire that used to resemble a semi-prominent football program known as ASU, can we upgrade the Herm Edwards hire from disastrous to criminal? I'm serious. Most stupid thing that happened in sports are ser- most stupid things that happen in sports are served justice through public shaming and mockery. But Ray Anderson should legitimately have to serve time in a medium security penitentiary. Um, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure there's some ASU fans who are right there with you. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, I, I think those two coordinators leaving certainly didn't do anything to, um, make this hire look better. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a horrendous hire made to look worse even now. And I think Ray Anderson should absolutely be fired at the first possible moment. 100%. Yeah. I think at this point it's like, I mean, I think we've done a pretty good job of just crushing this, but this is where you just Google the uh, Michael Jackson popcorn meme and just like, that's what you're doing now. Just like, okay, yeah, this was, this happened now let's watch. Cause I think some crazy stuff is going to be like either completely justified. Like, Oh my God, did he just do that? Or man, they're winning some games. Like, I don't think that's going to happen, but I think at this point you just have to kind of sit back and, and watch. I don't think anyone's going to jail at this point, but, uh, just sit back and watch popcorn meme and uh, enjoy the show. Yeah, 
Ray Anderson should be fired, though. I mean, <laughs> this is like the worst, the worst bit of cronyism I think I've ever seen. It's so. yeah. I mean, if he should be after the season because it'll be a bad season and it'll probably be crazy stuff that happened. You're like, if you had a coach that was around the last ten years, college football, like that probably wouldn't have happened. If a bunch of things like that happens, then you're like, yeah, Ray, this was not a good idea. All right, and then he has a question for me about the UCLA quarterback competition. DW, it seems most of the talk about the QB competition for UCLA next year is revolving around Devon Modster and Dorian Thompson-Robinson. But what are the chances Matt Lynch gets a look? I know the guy doesn't have the same throwing ability as the first two, but can't he move around a bit? Um, I think they'll look at everybody. Um, They obviously also got KJ Carter-Samuels, who'll be in in spring. So they'll have some options to look at. I think Austin Burton is still there, too, and he was a true freshman this past year red shirting so they're gonna have you know some bodies to look at i'm sure chip kelly being the uh coach he is is going to do his due diligence and look at all these guys um i think lynch i think he has ability um i I don't think he's the same thrower for sure that monster is or even dtr is but um he can move a little bit um i liked what i saw out of him um last spring um now I don't think he's the player Monster showed himself to be this year, but I, I wouldn't rule it out. Um, and it's going to be, you know, Chip Kelly's going to make some decisions that seem odd, I think, to people um, because he's going to try to find his fits for his system. And maybe he thinks that Matt Lynch would be more of a fit than than a Monster or, you know, DTR at this point. I, I don't know. But, yeah, I would, I would have to imagine he gets a look. I, I don't think they're going to be ruling anybody out at this point. Yeah. Um, I guess that's the last, the last questions for both of us, right? Yeah. So lastly, since it was a long off season and we have nothing else to do, can we get percentage breakdowns of who you think starts at quarterback next year for both UCLA? And he's got it as I think dollar sign UC. So I'm assuming <laughs> I'm assuming that's USC. Uh huh. Maybe typo. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just tough to say. Um, you want to go first? Or sure. Okay. So I'm going to give you like 75. percent It's going to be Matt Fink. Um, I think it'll follow along the same lines of the last one where Darnold probably should have started but didn't. Um, different situation because it's not like Matt Fink's been around the program a long time, but he's the only guy with game experience. And I'd give like, what did I say, 75? So I'll give like 15 to um, JT Daniels, the true freshman, will come in. He's only have like two weeks to win the job and like 10 for for Jack Sears. Um, UCLA, it's easier for me. 100% Jerry Neuheisel starts, so we're good there. <laughs> Wait, wait. So I want to I want to go into this USC one. Sure, yeah. Um, so Matt Fink, where does he rank on your Jake Browning arm strength scale? <laughs> He's uh, Great, greater than or less than or equal to. I think it's in the same ballpark, maybe less than. I would go less than. Yeah, I'm. I, I, <laughs> yes, I think USC should start Matt Fink. Um, now for UCLA, um, I would go. Uh, I'm going to go sixty percent Devon Modster. That's uh, All right. Twenty five percent Dorian Thompson Robinson, and probably like split up that final fifteen percent between. I would say probably KJ Carter Samuels is like a ten percent, and Matt Lynch is like a five percent. Something like that. I think it's a. I think it's a relatively open competition. I'm going to say Devon Monsters. 
experience and the fact that he played pretty well um, this year will win out in that argument. And I think he's I think he's just fundamentally a more talented guy than Lynch. Um, and I think Dorian Thompson Robinson isn't coming in in spring. If he was this, the whole calculus would change a little bit. But the fact that like JT Daniels, he's only going to get a couple of weeks. Yeah, um, that's, hard. that's 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 so tough as a true freshman. Uh, to come in and, and just seize a starting job in August. Um, so, yeah, I'll say Monster is the most likely, and then followed by DTR, then Carter Samuels, then Lynch. I was at uh, I was in Hawaii for the uh, Polynesian Bowl for a few days for the practices and stuff, and uh, it's kind of, some of those guys come in there and they just want to like ball out, and some guys are like, "Dude, I'm in Hawaii, I just want to relax." And uh, DTR was one of the the latter. He was more of the <laughs> What are we doing here? Like, dude, I'm not like the coaches are like, yeah, we're going to do this. He's like, uh, yeah, I don't think I'm doing that. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I don't think he's, don't blame him the at all. Of, he, yeah. I don't think he's married to the idea of playing his first year either. Like, oh, I yeah. don't think like, he's not one of those guys who was like necessarily like just eyeing situations to see where he could start early. I mean, he's the guy who famously stayed at Bishop Gorman and didn't start until his senior year there because he just liked being at Gorman. So, you know, I, I don't know that he'll, you know, necessarily be starting as a true freshman. All right. We got one from Bobby. If we want to move on. Sure. He said, thought this would be an interesting discussion for your show. Uh, Jameer Joyner. I think that's how you say his name. Uh, signed with the university of Arizona in the early signing period. Neither he nor the school announced it. He continued to take official visits and there hasn't been a word spoken about it in the media. Weird recruitment, weird situation, weird rules, infractions, cover up thanks from bobby are you familiar with i'm not familiar with the story i read a little bit about it okay. um but yeah i mean I, I, I this does seem a little nuts that he signed and then they didn't announce it i wonder if this has anything to do with the Richrod stuff you know with kind of the timing of that firing and all of that stuff going on i wonder if they're maybe just like agreeing to you know still you know, look around a little bit and not have it be a, a big thing. I, I'm not sure, though. I don't know the ins and outs of it that much. We'll have to check. We could check with Jason Shear when we do our yeah. – we, we announce that. Uh, now, USC had a guy, Talanoa Hufunga, who's like a five-star uh, athlete from Corvallis, Oregon. Got him Got him away from uh, from the Beavs. Um, he signed but didn't announce and because he wanted to do something with his family. So they announced it like a week later. But, you know, there's like a support staff person that'll tweet out stuff like when faxes come in. Well, there was whatever, like nine or ten faxes. There was like ten faxes, but there was only uh, like nine announcements. So they're like, oh, who's the guy? So, I mean, he had actually signed but didn't want to say anything and asked the school not to say anything until like a week later. But it doesn't seem like that's the same situation. No, yeah. All right, uh, you want me to do this next one? Sure. All right, uh, Polynesian Bowl and Washington State quarterback questions. Uh, this is from Andrew. Uh, the Polynesian Bowl was a great opportunity to look at some of the talent coming to the Pac-12 next year. After watching the game, do any Pac-12 commits stick out? Ryan, I defer to you on this one. Unfortunately, I didn't watch the game. Like I was, <laughs> um, It was on ESPN3, and I had a bunch of stuff going on. I was there for— I was, I was stuck watching UCLA basketball at the time, so I didn't watch it Nice. Which, but I was there for some of the practices, um, talked with Brandon Huffman and Blair Angulo. It seemed like it was kind of a, a heavy West Coast presence. Um, man, I can't, I can't recall a guy. There was an Oregon 
signee that was uh, killing a def- one of the defensive backs, and I'm not I'm blanking on his name right now. Um, he was doing a, a really good job. Uh, there wasn't like there wasn't like great uh, quarterback play, but uh, like Tanner McKee, I think was the best. Was, I think DTR just wasn't doing much. He didn't practice at least one or two of the days. Um, I was watching. There was a different team. The the one team that had the USC guys on it was different. The the team that DTR was on and uh, and uh, Tanner McKee, but Tanner McKee looked uh, you know good from what I saw him. Now he's probably going to take that more mission right, so he'll we won't see him for a couple of years uh, at Stanford. A lot of dudes were kind of taking it easy. Washington, uh, that linebacker, I forget his name. Uh, man, why am I blanking on that? He got his fifth star when he was there and w- was one of the three guys representing uh, the entire um, bowl game when they did their press conference. There was like, they picked three of the Polynesian players and he was one of them. Um, so there was, I think it was a pretty strong uh, Pac-12, you know, presence there. Obviously it's a, a you know, kind of a West Coast thing. A lot of dudes were hurt. There was a lot of guys that were just kind of like, I don't know, for the Army All-American Bowl, if you're hurt, they don't bring you out there until like Thursday before the game. For this, they were out there the whole time. So I think there was more guys kind of taking advantage of, hey, we're hanging out in Hawaii than you would see at like the the Under Armour one in Orlando or the Army one down in San Antonio. Yeah, that would often happen with like random kind of events. I remember like the B2G thing every year. Like you'd have, it was always so funny. Um, you would have like the LA kids who were there for it, just like taking it super easy, like not doing anything during the practices, just kind of lounging in the shade. And then the out of state kids would just be like working so hard. Like Texas kids in general were just working so hard and. Southern kids and the LA kids just not doing anything. And what always stood out to me actually at those things was um, Juju Smith was the only LA kid who would actually go out there and like full on practice, full speed the entire time. <laughs> and it was always like so impressive to me because everyone else is just hanging out, just chilling, um, and he'd be out there balling. So that was that, that always stood out to me. Um, all right, and then he's got a question about the uh, Washington State situation. Um, I feel a little bad bringing this up, but I think it's something worthy of discussion. How will the Cougars do without Holinsky next year? He came to play at a few of the games this year, and most people thought he would start next year. I think Washington State has a decent amount of talent in the freshman recruit, Camp Cooper, who enrolled this semester. I believe he could easily fill that role. The bigger problem to me is how this will affect the team psychologically. Do you have any comments on that? I mean, we talked about it a little bit up top. Yeah. Um, I, I think the specifics of the situation um, – I'd be, I mean, if, if you know, obviously, if you're a Washington State fan, you're thinking about a lot of things with this, but if, if you're thinking about what the team's going to do next year, I'd be reasonably confident in Mike Leach's ability to get solid play out of the quarterback position. Um, I think, you know, there's a baseline, I think, for, there's a baseline for quarterback play in Mike Leach's system that's higher for a lot of other systems. So I just don't think they're going to really be a huge struggle fest there. I don't think Luke Falk was all that great this year and he put up some, you know, mind bending stats. Um, so, you know, Camp Cooper might be that guy we talked about potentially, and we're just throwing that out there, but you know, Keller Chris could, um, you know, he could come in, but like, I think any number of, you know, a grad transfer type or whoever could do it. So I, I would, I wouldn't be all that worried if I was a Washington state fan that Mike Leach is going to get, you know, bad quarterback play. I think he'll, I mean, I think he'll be able to to generate some production there. Um, obviously, um, 
it's it's going to affect the team psychologically um how they respond i think a lot of teams respond to tragedy by kind of banding together more and that can be a result um and that's i think more often than not that's what you see in these situations but i mean who, who can tell i mean it's this is such a this is such a unique situation obviously extraordinarily awful yeah, and that's, I mean, that's, to me, that's the biggest factor is like, how is the team going to respond psychologically? Um, it, it could go a whole number of different ways, you know, and I think there's going to be some really nice tributes. Um, he was, you know, really popular player. I think he was going to be, I think he was going to be the starter, no doubt, and, uh, you know, was very productive. You know, when he would come in this year to spell Luke Falk or when they benched Luke Falk, you know, even. So, um, obviously, there was trust from the coaching staff. Mike Leach had trust in him. But like what Dave said, as far as play on the field, I mean, Luke Falk was a walk-on, you know? So it's like, I think Leach can get a lot out of the quarterbacks. I saw Cam Cooper a bunch at the Elite 11 up in Oregon. And, you know, whenever I saw him, it you know, compared to the other guys, he wasn't the most impressive to me or even really close to it, to be honest, you know? And, I, you know, I filmed him. I watched him a bunch because it was a guy that, you know, USC could potentially go after. Um, and just, you know, wasn't like the most impressive guy, but I think a lot of the guys that come up there are kind of like that. And, and Leach is able to put him in a great situation, coach him up, develop him, and, and be very productive. So I think if they have to go that way, uh, he certainly can be, uh, productive, but it would be obviously better if you bring someone back like Holinsky that had, uh, experience and, and, and came out there. Cause you, you know, when, when you're out there, um, and it's it's live. You don't know, you know, the first time you're ever out playing in a game, you just you don't know how a player is going to react. And we've seen how Holinsky reacted, and it was it was positive. So, um, you know, we'll see. But I, I don't know. I'm not familiar with the rest of the roster. I know about uh, Cam because I got to watch him at the Elite Eleven stuff. But we'll see. Like like Dave said, though, I just don't think it's going to be. I think they'll be, they'll have production out of the quarterback position. How much? I mean, it, it should be on the high end. I, I would think there'll be. You know, the passing yards will be in the top three or four in the Pac-12 almost no matter what. Yeah, exactly. Um, you want me to, oh. All right. Yeah, you want to do the next one? Sure. Uh, oh, this is a short one. Cool. Uh, Dave Young, uh, he says, thoughts on UCLA getting a good dual-threat quarterback grad transfer. Is it uh, too soon to bet on fighting Chip Kelly's for the national championship next year? <laughs> Go dogs. I think he's trolling a little bit. I think he is. Is that um, a troll? Uh, so, KJ Carter Samuels, I know he did um, some option stuff in high school. Um, from what I saw of him, he never really impressed me as a speed demon, and I don't think he w- was much of a dual threat guy as a backup at Washington. So, I'm not anticipating him being much of a runner at UCLA. I don't think, I think, I mean, he's coming in obviously to compete to start. I, I don't. I don't think he's better than Devon Modster. Um, so I don't, I think it's really good to have him because it'll allow UCLA to potentially redshirt uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson um, because then you have a credible backup. Um, but I don't, I, I wouldn't anticipate Carter Samuels winning the job. Um, as for, uh, is it to send to bet on the fighting Chip Kelly's for the national championship next year? Yes. Yes, it is. Um, I, I mean, I would, I, I would think they'll be good. Um, I think the schedule's a little bit tough. I mean, I think if they, I, I think anything like seven and five, eight and four and above is probably a fine start. I think there's 
reason to expect more because it's Chip Kelly. Um, but I, I think uh, I think setting the like baseline at like eh, probably eight and four ish um, would be reasonable for UCLA fans. Yeah, I agree. I think it's uh, a situation where there's enough quarterbacks on the roster right now. I don't know if bringing in a grad transfer what it would do for the the morale in that room. Um, and we don't know, you know, what is it going to be an offense that looks exactly like what he ran at Oregon or with the Eagles or the 40. I mean, it, it was a little different. The early, the early word is that it's going to be more like the Eagles than the, the Oregon one. Okay. And, and actually I think like a good example, uh, the UCF offense this year also, um, with Scott Frost, who was his protege at Oregon, um, which was a little bit, it wasn't the same deal as Oregon. Like there was a little more tight end stuff. There was just a little bit less of the like crazy tempo. Um, and you know, it was a little bit more adding in a little bit more pro style stuff. And with the Eagles, I mean that early offense he had with Nick Foles that first year, especially, um, and I think the second year too, um, that was also a really impressive offense. And then he screwed it up with his personnel decisions. But, um, yeah, I think it'll look something more like those two, squads than necessarily Oregon. So uh, that's our, our emailer Dave is saying UCLA Bruins <laughs> national champions. I haven't used the sound effects. I needed to use one. So um, that was great. But he also said uh, he said go dogs Washington Huskies. <laughs> uh, all right. And then uh, Hithliday Almond asked us about our deep dive series, which we promised him we would do in the off season. And we are going to start next week. Um, so he was going to – so he's asking us about USC here. I don't know if we want to get into it yet. I think we'd maybe just start next week. Okay. Um, does that sound right, or do you want to do it now? Yeah, no, we can – I mean, if this is kind of part of what we wanted to get into, we can we can start with that and get we'll – get, we'll try to get, you know, uh, an expert from every program to come on, and it'll be much easier for us to do a deep dive with the experts, um, you know, from each pro. So we could, you know, stretch it out over 12 weeks – um, and and or do we it that do way. a show, whichever. Yeah, we I mean, we could potentially do that too. It just it just kind of depends, but um, yeah, it might be hard to get both. You know, like the Oregon State and Oregon people like on the same show, but um, you know, we'll work on it. Yeah, cool. Hitherday is uh, he's man, he's got some good questions there. He brings he brings the thunder every time. Uh, okay, so there was there's a Zach one that we were gonna skip. Um, there's a Anthony one. Do you want me to read that? Yeah, bring it. I don't know if we, okay. This is from, so we're, we're getting close to like two weeks ago questions now. So, Hey Ryan and Dave, now that the 2017 college football season is over, uh, what would, uh, be your final top 10 2017 quarterback rate, rate, uh, rankings for all of college football and how many teams, our Pac-12 teams with 2017 Jake Brown would be the starting quarterback for. We have to rank all the the final top. Okay, I don't know. All right, so let's let's start with the Pac-12 guys. Um, Rosen and Darnold, right? They're in the top ten. Right? Yeah. Uh huh. Are we throwing Tate in there too? Yeah, we have to. Okay. Oh, in the top uh, ten, like overall, you're talking, or like yeah, in all of college football. Oh boy. Okay, so. I would say Baker Mayfield has to be in there. He, he Lamar the Jackson. House. Lamar Jackson for sure. Um, the dude from Oklahoma State. What's his name? 
Kyle Rudolph. Uh, Mason Rudolph. Mason Rudolph. Kyle Rudolph. Mason Rudolph. Uh, JT Barrett. You want to put him in the top ten? Got to do it. He had a good year. Okay. Um, man, I don't. Like, I mean, Darnold, Darnold and Rosen for sure. Yeah. I mean, we could put Tate in there. We could probably put Tate in there. I mean, that was an impressive month. Um, oh, Florida uh, State lost DeAndre Francois at the beginning of the year, so we can't put them. Penn State. Um, what's his oh, name? Oh, Trace McSorley. Trace McSorley. Go. Yeah, he's in there. Uh, do you want to put in uh, the Wyoming quarterback who everyone thinks no, could go number one? No, I don't think he's very good. <laughs> um. um We know yeah. we know it's not Jake Browning, right? Like we know that. <laughs> yes, we do know that. Um, I don't know what were what was uh who's the Missouri quarterback Drew Locke? He's yeah, really he could, good. He could be in there. Yeah, Drew Locke. Um, okay, I, I mean I don't know if we named ten, but that's a that's that's my group. Sure. Um, and then he asks, "Is uh, is Jake? Who? How many Pac-12 teams would 2017 Jake Browning be the starting quarterback for? Now for this so how coming many teams year in 2017 or 2018? So let's just do 2017, I guess. We'll we'll say okay. Which other teams would he have started for? Would he have started over Cleo Tate? No. No. Would he have started over Manny Wilkins? No. What do you think? I think I could go either way. Um, okay. I'll, I'll put it at 50 50. Okay. Uh, would he have started over Steven Montez? Ooh. I mean, I say yes because of this year. Yeah. I, I think Montez he wouldn't have started the year over Steven Montez, but I think he would have performed better than Montez over the course of the year. Yeah. You would have put Montez. Browning in over the way Montez started playing. Does he start over either Troy Williams or Tyler Huntley? Not Huntley. I mean, he, yeah, I think he already started over Troy Williams, didn't he? Yeah. Isn't that the reason? <laughs> but that was a different offense, too, you know, so that's like. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think he starts over Huntley. All right. Does he start over Josh Rosen? No. Does he start over Sam Darnold? No. Does he start over, um, God, what's, uh, Ross Bowers? I think so. Yeah, probably. Uh, does he start over Keller Christ or KJ Costello? Ooh, uh, I would say, well, see, the, I would say yes to Chris, no to Costello. Yeah, the way Chris started, like, yeah, you would, like, if he was on the bench, like, you would put him in over Chris if Chris started the season. I'm not sure you do it over KJ. Does he start over Justin Herbert? No. No way. Uh, does he start over whoever was starting at quarterback for Oregon State this year by the end of the year? Yes. Darryl Garrettson? Yes. Yeah. Uh, does he, he might start be the starting over- linebacker for Oregon State. I don't know. Does he start over Luke Falk? No. Mm, that's actually the one I don't know. He's got every Pac-12 record. Come on. Yeah, because he's in Mike Leach's system, which generates yards like none other. I think he might start over Luke Falk. Luke Falk was bad this year. I don't care what his stats say. He was not good. Um, so, I mean, all right, so we have him starting over. I, I'll, I'll even give him Manny Wilkins. I'll say he starts over Manny Wilkins. Okay. So let's say he starts over Manny Wilkins, one, he starts over Steven Montez, too. He starts over one of Utah, so we'll give him a half point there. Um, so that's two and a half teams. He starts over Ross Bowers, three and a half teams. He starts over half of Stanford, so four teams. He starts over Oregon State, five teams. He starts over Washington State. That's six teams. 
Jake Browning's the top half of the Pac-12 quarterback, baby. I see. I wouldn't go with the Luke Falk one, but okay, you yeah, know, we're, he's in there. The bottom half. He's, but he's in there. He's in the middle. He's in the middle. He's in the middle. We can say he's a top seven quarterback, top eight quarterback in the Pac-12 now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he's back. And he's back. Yeah. And he's back. And now that's the real question. How many teams would he start over next year? Ooh. So he's not starting over Tate. He's not starting over Wilkins as a senior. If we're gonna, if yeah. we're going on yours. Um, does he start over Montez? I think still, yeah. Like Mon- doesn't start over Huntley. No, Monster doesn't- or Fink. Mm, I might give him the UCLA job. Just I, I might give him that one. In the system, um, though, I don't know. I think I think he'd have a better yeah, chance of starting yeah, at USC. Yeah, yeah. No, than, I, good point. I would say he starts at USC over UCLA. Okay, so we'll give him USC. We'll give him Colorado. Uh, we'll give him Cal again. Um, we won't give him Stanford. We don't give him Oregon. I don't know what Oregon State situation is going to be like, but I'll give it to him. Yeah. And then Washington State, so that's five. Yeah. So he's a bottom half quarterback next year. Wow, we thought he got worse. That's crazy. Yeah. Amazing. Well, those half points. We gave him half and points. Rosen, and he's bottom half now. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's weird. Yeah. We're just going to get more hate from the UW fans. <laughs> well, we have to troll him a little bit after spending so much time, you know, talking up a Washington fan stat work. Yes. There's like <laughs> Washington is the greatest team in Pac-12 history according to Van Stats or something like that. I don't know. I can't read that stuff. All right. So, this is Earl in West LA. This is from well over 2 weeks ago. Uh college football playoff championship guys i'm confused i thought the game played this past monday night was supposed to be for the college football championship but instead it looked like the sec championship game 2.0 personally i don't think the body of work for alabama means anything if they are not good enough to win their conference championship shouldn't championships be decided among champions shouldn't the selection process be as objective as possible particularly since there are five championships for four uh, five championship champions wow for four playoff spots the SEC has been gaming the system for so long, they even have the committee believing two SEC teams should be in the playoffs. It's a bad look and another reason the Rose Bowl should not participate in this farce. My question, given the outcome of the game, exactly who the hell is the SEC champion? Earl, uh, yeah, th- I think the SEC has gamed the system because when you're talking about the, the championship game, so this is after your conference, after your conference championship game, after the playoff, the final two teams are both from the SEC, had not played each other yet. Like, how do you avoid yourself in conference and in the conference championship game and then somehow only get to meet in the champion, the overall national championship? Like, that seems kind of... If you were in the Pac-12, they would have had to play three times by the time they got there. Because so. <laughs> Larry Scott wants to make sure everyone gets, you know, gets a little something. So they've definitely gamed the system. When you got 14 teams and you only play eight conference games, you miss, you know... You, you're talking about USC and Washington not playing this year. Like they played last year, and you know, it, it's it's the, it, the way they can do it. Uh, you have teams that are two and six in conference, and they go to bowl games because they go four and zero against a bunch of cupcakes. They've gamed the system, and that's just you know that's what the most important thing is. That's not what the most important thing is. The Pac-12. So it's uh, I mean, you gotta if you want to talk about who's doing it, trying to make who's trying to make the most playoff teams and national championships and all that it's certainly the sec they do it right if that's what your ultimate goal is 
I mean, I, I think that's a little too narrow of a focus. They haven't, I mean, they've gained the system, sure. But they've also gained the system in that, like, they recruit better than everybody else. And Alabama hired the best coach in college football. And, I mean, they've they've stacked the deck in all of the above-board ways, as well as they've also scheduled cupcakes. But, I mean, Bama and Georgia, as constituted, would have won the Pac-12 this year. Both of them. Either of them. Yes. Whichever. Auburn would have had a great chance. Um I mean, I, they were just they were just better teams, and so like I don't get as excited about the not winning the conference thing. It would be one thing if like Bama was clearly inferior this year, but they lost one game to Auburn, and otherwise were like extraordinarily dominant. And this wasn't even that good of an Alabama team. It wasn't like one of their best teams. But I mean, going back to our our boy Andrew's uh, metrics, I mean Bama was number two in the S and P plus even going into everything. Um, they actually had Ohio State as the best team in college football this year, which they certainly looked good against USC. But, um, I mean, Bama, I think quality of play, they deserved it. Um, they lost one game to a team that's like has been designed to beat them specifically. Um, and they beat the closest analog to Alabama, too, because they were designed to beat that system. They beat Georgia and they beat Alabama. Should Auburn be the national champion? Um, I, I just think getting into all that, the the problem isn't that like a non-conference champion is getting in. The problem is they created a four-team playoff for a system that demands if you're going to do it based off conference championships, there need to be at least five teams then in the in the playoff. Um, and you obviously can't have a five-team playoff, so you need to have you know six or eight. Um, so I, I I don't know. I don't get that excited about Bama being in, and I think they clearly showed that they deserve to be in with their quality of play in. Uh, in the playoffs, um, obviously they won the national championship. Um, and then as for who's the SEC champion, I mean, yeah, it's it's whoever the hell won. What was it? Georgia? Did they win the yeah, SEC? Yeah, Georgia won, yeah. Yeah, but who cares about conference championships? Um, uh, Bama made the playoff, and I mean, it's not like it's a, an extension of the conference championships, at least at this point. I mean, maybe once they do go to six or eight, they can actually do that. But for now, I mean, you've just got to do your best job at picking the top four teams. And I think Bama was clearly one of the top four teams. Yeah, I, I think they were too. I think they proved that on the field. And then when they played Auburn, they had a bunch of defensive guys hurt. And uh, yeah, I think they got the best players, the best coach. And uh, and they won. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, boom. Head to head. <laughs> Advanced metrics put them second behind Georgia, but I still think they're the national champion. So, whatever p Dog says or whatever his name is. Uh, we might be getting to the the end of our questions. I, I think we're I think we're to the end. Brett, the, what, Brett wrote in or Brent wrote in. He said USC in the subject. I am behind David for the resolution. Blow it up and start over with a proven coach. What were we? Do you remember my New Year's t- resolution for USC was to fire Clay Helton at some point this year. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, so according Brent, to USC I'm Twitter, he USC will be fan. fired. So USC Twitter is all over that. Yeah. And I think that brings us to the end. Yay. Um, yeah. This is a short show, only an hour and 20 minutes. It's like people aren't getting what they paid for, Dave. Like, I don't know. I know. All those dollars they've spent on this. Yeah. Well, if you've sent in a question and we didn't get to it for some reason or something, you know, resend it in. I think we got to most everything. Um, and like Dave said, we're going to do an a intimate breakdown of every program. So if you're a fan of Washington State or you have some 
specific questions, you can send those in too, and we'll save them. Um, I'll keep like a Google Doc for each program, and we'll get guests on, and we'll uh, talk about all that kind of stuff. So it should be, I think it'll be some interesting shows, and they'll probably start rolling into spring football, I guess, by the time we, yeah, they'll probably yeah. be doing that. Oh, yeah, we and we can start doing some spring previews in these shows as well. And we're not just going to talk about an individual program in each show. I mean, we'll answer questions. We'll go over all the news and notes. So if you're, you know, if we're going over, like, Oregon State one day and you're not a big Oregon State fan, I mean, we'll still be talking about a lot of their stuff. So continue tuning in. Um, Dave, real quick, do you have one of those devices that if you talk to it and, like, ask it to do stuff, it'll, like, look things up for you and things like that? Like, uh, like, I don't want to say, know, I don't want to say the word because I got one sitting next to me and it'll, like, turn on and stuff, but. You mean, like, Alexa? Yes. <laughs> I have an earphone in so you can't hear it, so that's good. <laughs> I can't hear you. <laughs> you mean, like, Alexa? <laughs> I shout. Um, it just like said something to me, and I was like, "Wait, did I ask you know say that?" And I've heard people like they're like, "If you have a daughter like with that name, it's got, you kind of get teased a lot now." Like it's I don't know, it's kind of weird. I wonder if that'll influence the people naming their kids, like if they won't name their daughter Alexa, because that's a normal name. Like at least Siri it's is pretty like, normal. Yeah, Siri's not very normal, right? Like. I mean, some people name their kids that. I think that was wasn't that like Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes' daughter. Yeah, not Gone. normal people like the you know. Yeah. Hey, you just you just really pissed off the Scientologist community. <laughs> oh They're coming God. after you now. Do you ever watch those? Uh, I oh, love the, Leah Remedy, like the Scientology, like Inside Scientology. Yeah. Did stuff. you watch that documentary? The documentary is insane about uh, the whole Scientology thing. I'll it's have to crazy. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, go find it. Go I don't find think it. I should. I was in college working. So I was at USC. The Shrine Auditorium is like right across the street. They do like Grammys and stuff there. And I was like a security guard, like six foot three beanpole, like 170 pounds. I was like a security guard. Um, and we worked like a L. Ron Hubbard like birthday party. So he was already dead. But and it was like the craziest thing. I had no idea about Scientology. Didn't know what it was. I think there was a guy in my dorm that had all the books, but I never I didn't know anything about it. And it was like zombie land, like all these brainwashed people. It was like the craziest things. Dudes in like full on military uniforms holding up uh, Dianetics and all this stuff. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so no offense to any Scientology people. That was my first encounter of that. And it was like insanity. I'm like, this is a cult for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Super cult. Super cult. No, watch the documentary. Everybody out there, watch the documentary on Scientology. I can't remember the name offhand. But I'm sure if you just Google documentary on Scientology, I'm going to give a little movie recommendation here. All right. Uh, going clear. Going clear. Scientology and the Prison of Belief. Is um, it I think it was originally on Netflix. I'm not sure if it is anymore. Okay. Um, but watch that. It's crazy. And all the like governmental issues, the tax-exempt status, it's nuts. It's bonkers. I'll watch do, the whole thing. It's great. I definitely want to check that out. Um yeah, that's uh, man. It's uh, it's not, and this is like the 25th anniversary of like the David Koresh stuff in Waco. So a lot of a lot of cult stuff now. And then people were asking me like, "You're too young," but Jim Jones when uh, when I was a kid, like in the 70s, Kool Aid baby. Yeah, like drink. So that's where drink the Kool Aid comes from. Where he killed, you know, Koresh killed like 70 people or whatever it was in in Waco when he set the place on fire, or our government did, or whatever it was. But <laughs> if it, I, I don't want to like. Yeah. Now I, you're pissing off conspiracy theorists. No, no, that's for your sake, Dave, because I know you're, you know, 
the anti-government guy and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, I'm just kidding. But the guy, so what Jim Jones was down in some island or whatever somewhere in some other country, he killed it with like 700 people. It was like crazy. Or it might have been more than that. It might have been 800 people. Like all oh, yeah. these people, like insanity of what this stuff was. But yeah, that's where Drink the Kool-Aid comes from. He put cyanide, I think it was, in all the Kool-Aid. Wow. So great. The early the early 90s is what I'm thinking. Like the Tanya Harding crap is coming out now. Oh, Again, because yeah. of 25, and there's cool stuff on that. My wife just went to see the movie, I, Tanya. Um, when I think about that, like, you know, you had OJ, you had, uh, like, the Northridge earthquake going on, Tanya Harding, um, the Waco stuff. It was just in, uh, the L.A. riots. Like, all this crap was going on, like, in the early to mid-'90s. It was, like, insane. And the uh, that North Hollywood shootout with the guys in the body armor that, like, changed – policing across the country or those guys if you ever see those video like crazy crazy yeah. stuff yep sorry i don't know why i was dragging that on but there's some- no it was a fun time <laughs> fun time in uh the 90s when they look back on it the 90s are going to uh, uh rate very poorly on the uh, decades <laughs> for the united states very very poorly horrible time that was and i just you know i'm an east coast guy i moved to la in like 89 and so all this crazy stuff was was happening yeah. Nuts. And then I got to meet, you know, a bunch of Scientologists, L. Ron Hubbard. Woohoo! Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. I guess we'll Well, this has that. been your cult talk. Um. <laughs> There's probably some really good cult podcasts, you know. Like, oh, I, yeah. I only listen to sports podcasts, but you've told me about some of the crazy podcasts you listen to that I want to, like, mm-hmm. check in on sometimes. But I haven't tried, like, other – I think I did a little Adam Carolla because he's, like, the king of all podcasts or whatever. But... Yeah, I used to listen to him a little bit. Um there's some good ones. I mean, I listen to a history podcast called The Dollop, which is really funny. Like, they'll, it's just, um, it's basically like one guy, it's two comedians, and one guy reads a story from American history to the other guy. Um, and it's usually just some crazy nonsense, like, completely effed up story. And the other guy knows nothing about history, so he's just got the best reactions to it all. Um, that's a good show, uh, The Dollop. I recommend it. Okay. Um, and then there's some good football stuff out there. Um, Hardcore History, Dan Carlin. If you ever get a chance to re- listen to those, those are like four-hour shows. They're great. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I like Drunk yeah. History. Uh, you ever watch those? That's Drunk like... History is great. <laughs> Drunk History is phenomenal. Do they do the so good. Do they do podcasts for those? I don't know if they've put them in podcast form because so much of it is built on the visual. Yeah. <laughs> that is good. Um, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just remembering the Alexander Hamilton one, the Alexander <laughs> Hamilton Aaron Burr one. <laughs> So good. <laughs> um, all right. Well, this this show has devolved. Yeah, badly. We'll wrap it up. But we do. We appreciate all you guys uh, listening and gals, everyone uh, listening to the podcast of Champions. Make sure you send in your questions, any kind of topic ideas. Like we said, for we'll try to go deep down on each program over the next uh, twelve weeks or so. So I think it'll be, I think it'll be good. And uh, Dave, great job. Good Thank you. you. Glad you, you too. Glad you're feeling better. Thank you. And uh, you know, sweet dreams of Rick Neuheisel coaching the Pac-12 <laughs> again someday. All right. Well, that's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. We're a little loopy. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this edition of the Podcast of Champions, and we will talk to you next time.